Well, 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 welcome to the Purple Stuff Podcast. Well, 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 welcome to the Purple Stuff well, Podcast. Well, well, welcome to the Purple Stuff Podcast. Starring Jay from the Sexy Armpit and Matt from Dinosaur Dracula. Well, 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 welcome to the Purple Stuff Podcast. I have a bad feeling about this. About what? About this podcast. Why? Well, I mean, let's be honest. You and I don't know anything about Star Wars. No, this is new territory for me. (laughs) Well, obviously, it's a complete lie. But I figured with The Force Awakens coming out, Let's talk about Star Wars on the Purple Stuff podcast. For one full hour. Maybe. Could we do two? Let's do two. No. Do you know there's no way anyone would listen to us for two hours? All right. All right we'll keep it. To, we'll, we'll try to keep it to one. Yes. So speaking of Force Awakens, the movie is actually rated PG-13. I'm surprised that there's been such a big reaction to this news online. Well, yeah, that is crazy because all the rest of them have been PG, right? Well, no. I mean, most of them had been, but I think Revenge of the Sith was uh, PG-13. Oh, okay. So then it shouldn't be a huge shock to people then. Well, it's not so much that it's even just a shock. It's that some people seem to be upset by it. Really? Like, it won't be a Star Wars movie or it won't, like, have the same flavor. That's absurd. Yeah. I'm like, in what universe do you live in where the news that Star Wars is going to be PG-13 is a bad thing? I'm all for the PG-13, and I don't think it's going to change the movie one bit. I think it's good for the film, because I think as a as a nation of movie-going people, uh, I think we've uh, evolved a little bit. We've moved forward. I don't think the PG rating really is relevant anymore, unless you're just bringing children to the theater, you know? Well, here's the thing, though. I agree with your point, but at the same time, these days, what you can get away with in a PG-13 movie is what you used to be able to do only in our movies well i mean it's not like you can get pretty violent and pretty visual in a pg-13 movie these days so i'm wondering what's gonna happen in this movie i think what they're saying is you're probably gonna hear curse words in some sort of dialect from the star wars universe oh so like um rhodian curse words because i mean what else could there be because you know no one's gonna say shit or no because shit is a very earthy word yeah Wait, are you saying you're all for the PG-13 or you're... I'm saying two things. One, I am all for the PG-13. And two, I feel like it's the rating the filmmakers wanted, which sounds crazy. I don't know if it's been said or not said, but I just don't see how you could get PG-13 on Star Wars unless you're good with it. I think it must be because of the. there's going to be some pretty badass violence kylo ren is probably gonna just behead people and do some crazy stuff because let's face it there's not going to be any sexual situations probably not i think it'll be good for the film and i think it'll be because of violence mostly from kylo ren that's my opinion yeah well it's actually piques my interest even more now so i cannot wait to see this movie i can't wait either so i figured let's celebrate star wars 
as we move into the holidays, let's celebrate Star Wars and talk about it before the movie comes out, which is in what, a matter of weeks? Yeah, and I think this is a great idea because if the movie ends up sucking, nobody's going to want to hear a Star Wars podcast then. That's exactly it. And we were lucky enough to get tickets, which is awesome because the tickets sold out really super quickly. But uh, I got the greatest thing in the world. We got the chance to pick our own seats, which is good for me because I love sitting all the way in the back. So no one kicks the back of my chair. Yep. You're our back row buster. (laughs) I've never been to a movie with you where we haven't sat in the back. And it's like, if you don't have that row, you leave. Yeah, I just don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. (laughs) So let's delve into our Star Wars memories tonight on the Purple Stuff podcast. Star Wars memories. Now, Matt, you are familiar with what I like to refer to as the dark times. This is a time when Star Wars was veering on extinction. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, hell yeah. I lived through that shit, and that was not easy. Not easy. It was like living in the outer rim. But back around 1987, I had a subscription to the Lucasfilm Fan Club magazine. What, Bantha Tracks? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's there, awesome. <laughs> and there wasn't much else to latch onto, you know, in terms of Star Wars. Much of what Star Wars fans were clinging to at the time was created in our own imaginations from what we've read and what we piece together in our minds. You know, personally, I used to listen to the CDs or the radio dramas. Yep. I used to read the books and the magazines and try to soak. For you, when does this period start and when does it end? Well, I mean, I was very young. I first saw Return of the Jedi in the theaters when I was three or four years old. Yeah, but that's obviously Star Wars was hot then. Yeah, exactly. So this was about 87, 88. You know, okay. it was it. the dark times basically started after Jedi all the way right into when the prequels came out because it was such a tough time to be a Star Wars fan. Right. You know? I would say like in 1985, they did a couple of things, but by 86, it was dead. Yeah. And of course, then, you know, later on through the years, you had like, you know, uh, Shadows of the Empire and different things that came out that kind of satiated your thirst for Star Wars. But for the most part, it was a very dark period. So I'd say that these were the years that being a Star Wars fan really isolated me. Eventually, two instrumental things happened that skyrocketed my ability to enjoy the Star Wars universe more fully. So, yeah, yeah. First, I met a kid at school who would become one of my close friends at the time, and we'll just call him E. Uh, We discovered that we're both obsessed with Star Wars during those years, right? No one in school had any interest in Star Wars at that time. And for a frame of reference, this is when, you know, Jedi came out in 83. Yeah. So by the time we're in the late 80s, early 90s, most kids thought Star Wars had ran its course, you know? Oh, yes. So, and it wasn't like a hot thing. No, it 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 was practically a dirty word. Right, exactly. If, and like, if, it, if I ever let it leak that I like Star Wars, it would be like, what's wrong with you? You're a loser. Exactly. And what was worse is that kids are perennially into things that are new and hot and, and trendy. So uh, that was kind of tough to be in that situation because uh, me and E were sitting there trying to relive memories from when we were four and like trying to be <laughs> retro, I guess. Right. And, you know, we would hang out, hang out at each other's houses for days and discuss Star Wars, the lore, the mythology, you know, and share opinions about, 
the things that still remained a mystery to us as Star Wars fans, because, you know, listeners should remember that this is before the prequels came out. We did not have all this backstory and information, you know. So what I'm getting at is that eventually it was, you know, it was good to have a friend where we could wax eloquently about Star Wars. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and eventually it was like trying to solve the riddle of the Sphinx because it would be these long summer days where we would watch the films over and over. But our mission was to kind of piece together the backstory and the origins that didn't get fleshed out, you know, elsewhere. So we looked through the comics and the novels. And anyway, on a random Saturday afternoon, we hung at the mall. We would go to the mall basically like every weekend. And it's the 80s. It's like that's what kids did. We would go to the mall. Right. And like when you're preteen age, you can go get dropped off at the mall back then unsupervised. It was not considered child abandonment or anything. No, I absolutely had the exact same experience. Yeah. So we were browsing in a store that you know, and that's called The Game Room. So this place is like... Oh, I love that fucking store. (laughs) That store is my jam, yo. (laughs) This place, The Game Room, is like a legend amongst like local people. And and I was saying, you know, we were browsing through the store, and I say browsing because that's all you did at the game room. Yeah, nobody in the history of the game room, that store's been open 40 years, has not had a single purchase. Exactly. Clearly a front for mob activity. Exactly. Just yeah. something to put on the books. A seven-year-old kid isn't purchasing a life-size medieval knight statue or a $900 neon lit painting of Marilyn Monroe or anything Right, like but you did spend a quarter there. Yeah, you would spend a quarter on a video game or, you know, even like the little Pac-Man cocktail table. Are you kidding? That's Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, they had games, uh, video games and role playing stuff. And so we used to look through the books and whatnot and happened upon the section that just released Star Wars role playing books. Oh, my God. I can't believe you're bra- – see, all right, just for the record, Jay and I did not discuss our picks before we started tonight. Right. So I didn't know you were going to say this. And holy shit. And this is really what – I mean, this just put us into another level. Now, role-playing games at the time were obviously popular, and it's even after, like, um, Dungeons & Dragons. You know, there was a Ghostbusters role-playing game, a DC Yeah, everything comic. had a yeah. role-playing game at one point or another. Exactly. So – I found the Star Wars source book from West End Games, and I looked at, at that, and I said to myself, I have to buy this. There's there's no other way that I'm not buying this, you know? We, and I wasn't a role player. I've never played a role-playing game in my life at Same, all. Same, but I have every fucking one of those books. Exactly. So we, we got the source book later that night, broke out like chips and salsa, put on the Star Wars movies. We're pouring over this Star Wars source book, right? Now, we're completely... Ignoring the fact that this was a component of a role-playing game, you know? Yeah, same, because it was like the encyclopedia of Star Wars. Exactly. So we just had, you know, we had a Jabba-sized appetite for this information. (laughs) (laughs) And we... (laughs) So we had so many questions, and the source book gave us little hints into the origin of a lot of the characters like Emperor Palpatine. And uh, they weren't spoiling things either. They just made us more interested, you know, because where the prequels basically blew the load of everything and proved that knowing too much can work against your imagination. Right. The source books basically like supercharged our minds into getting us more interested. And and, and the, the illustrations in the book were so basic but it was so cool to be able to read, 
where every character was from and their backstory and the planet they're from and how, you know, all kinds of different things like that. Cause that's stuff that you couldn't pick up from the films. Right. And at the time, like we didn't realize that this stuff wasn't completely legit. Mm -hmm. Like, so we, if we read it in those books, we thought this was official canon part of the Star Wars universe. Exactly. And, and so my, my friend E begged me every time we hung out, you know, bring the source book and every single time, you know, I brought it and we sat there and it was, it was like, the only thing I can compare it to, and this is such an obscure reference, is if you've ever seen National Treasure 2, there's this book of secrets that they keep in the Library of Congress. And the only way you can get to it is if you go to like a certain aisle and you you pull out a certain book, then it opens up. A, yeah. A, you know, it's like this was that type of book to us. We were, it was so sacred to us that we needed it to kind of define the fact that, all right, we're not total geeks because clearly there's people into this and this kind of saved us. So it's a nice little story from a certain point of view. <laughs> from a certain point of view? <laughs> that was a little long-winded, but the Star Wars source book really meant that much to me, for real. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, that was tonight's show. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. <laughs> and you are listening to the Purple Purple Stuff Podcast. No, uh, I love that story, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. One of my picks is actually basically the same exact story, but with a different slant. Because mm -hmm. unlike you, I didn't have that one friend to talk mm -hmm. Star Wars with at all. Like, I had nobody. I thought I was the weirdest person in the world for still being into it during those quote-unquote dark years. Yeah. So for me, one of my big memories is when I first found Star Wars fans online. Ah, Everyone takes it for granted now, and I think you and me are part of like that last generation who can really appreciate what it means to have this kind of connectivity. I did talk to a lot of people who were like older than me and they were into Star Wars, but being a child when you know when the movies were out, even at the tail end, it's a totally different experience. Yeah, but I, I just mean like now, like we, like we lived in a generation that didn't have the internet, so. We know what it's like to feel alone in our weird obsessions. Now right. it's like you can't even picture that. Right. You, you could find like-minded people for anything. Yeah, at the drop of a hat, you go online, oh, who likes this? And then you could just have a conversation with them for the rest of the night. Right. So when I first got online, I think it was like the mid-90s, I was immediately obsessed with it. And finding fellow Star Wars fans was one of the big reasons why. I didn't have a single friend in real life who was into Star Wars. It was a complete secret for me. Yeah, But I still was into it, watching the movies all the time, collecting all the toys, reading all the books. It was just such a thrill to finally like be able to hook up with people, even though you know you were paying by the hour for like these horrible slow speeds of computers <laughs> that couldn't even handle text documents. Oh, God. If you wanted to download a picture of uh, something from Star Wars, it would have took like seven minutes. Right. Even by the time of that Stoner Yoda picture, and that was years later, it would be like <laughs> six minutes waiting to see Stone Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know the power of the dark side. Around 1983 or 84, there was an arcade game uh, called uh, Star Wars the Arcade Game, fittingly, appropriately enough. 
Yep. <laughs> anyway, and there was an arcade in the local Woodbridge Mall where that game room store was as well. This arcade was called Spaceport. I oh, loved that arcade. Loved it. Yeah. Now, I mean, I've I have a long love affair with Spaceport because is that was, the one that had like the blue pillars outside? It, it was basically the answer to Star Wars in arcade form because right. at, it was all you know, dark inside and like spacey. It's exactly what it was. Yeah, this place was like the Star Wars cantina of arcades. It yeah. really was. And and it was very seedy inside. But well, Jersey. Yeah, it's just from the outside. You're like, holy shit, this place is amazing. Anyway, futuristic on the outside. On the inside, you walked in, you were transported into the absolute coolest arcade ever. Yep. And, and the thing is, now, and I'm not considered a gamer, but if you grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, we were all gamers in a way because we were always going to arcades because it was like an indoor amusement park. There wasn't a lot to do back then, you know? Well, especially us that are close to the Jersey Shore where that was like the thing. My dad brought me in there and right off the bat, it was sort of odd because a parent going into an arcade at that time was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Dark! <laughs> so, but I was like four, so I didn't give a shit because I was a little kid and I just wanted to play the games, you know? Right. So... <laughs> I want. I used to call it the spaceship. That you know, it's a look, it looked like a spaceship landed in the mall and cloaked itself as an arcade. It so, sort of did, yeah. Yeah. So I remember that my favorites were the typical games like the classics, like Pac Man, Q Bird. Eventually, you know, stuff like Outrun. But anyway, embedded in my brain was the the first moment I laid my eyes on the Star Wars arcade game. It was one of those units that had a the booth that you sat in, you know, and. You, oh, it was that one? Yeah, it wasn't the stand-up game. Yeah, I'm two... more familiar with the stand-up version. Yeah, there's two versions, the one that you stood up at and the one that you could sit inside. So the one that you sat inside, it looked like a ride to me when I was a kid. You know, you played as Luke Skywalker in his X-Wing. Yep. And for the first time, there was nothing more mind-blowing to me than the fact that I was able to sort of recreate the trench run in the desk. Yep. But anyway, so you're, you're playing inside the, the X-Wing. And it was like getting into the cockpit and you could use the scope and everything. It was like having Darth Vader on your tail in the yep. TIE fighters. And the they even had like the Ben Kenobi quotes like over. Exactly. Yeah. Over it. Yep. Exactly. It looked like it really looked at the time. The graphics were basic compared to what you have now. But back then it was like it was the closest thing you can get to being in an actual X-Wing at the time. Yeah. Like you said, real movie sound effects. And it was unheard of at the time. This was like cutting edge, you know? Well, I think, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but the graphics, didn't they make it sound, it kind of seemed like it was coming from Luke's viewer screen? Right, the viewer. the trench? Yeah. So it was actually pretty clever because the graphics were good under that theme. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, it seemed realistic because when you watch the film, it's like, wow, that doesn't look too much different. Yeah, you were locking onto TIE fighters, blasting them while you're flying around the surface of the Death Star. And the fact that I had this experience... Well, inside of an arcade that was also basically inspired by Star Wars was pretty amazing. And my dad was pretty jazzed about it. He was like totally enthralled by the fact that I was able to do this, you know? And so... Yeah, proud papa. Seeing his enthusiasm for how cool that was only increased my excitement. But um, since I was a little kid, it was more like I was just hitting buttons half the time. And half the experience when you're young in an, ar in an arcade is just pretending... You know, you're in whatever game that you're playing. Right. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. You're just happy to be there. Coincidentally, I don't really have any memories that take place outside of a mall. Most of them take place inside of a mall. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do live, like, within minutes of the best yeah. mall in the country. 
Yeah, yeah. That's so funny that you say that. This isn't one of my memories, but I have basically the same exact thing mm -hmm. with that exact game in a Staten Island arcade with my father. Yeah. Who brought me there and like for some reason, even though I was a little kid and I never knew, I was like horrible at video games because I never knew what I was doing. I guess I just figured out the pattern because I couldn't lose, mm -hmm. and we got this huge crowd around us just watching me play. That's awesome. Like I never, I still to this day never have never felt cooler. I peaked at fucking four. <laughs> I'm. I would like, never. The only time I've had crowds like around me now, or it's not for a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> like you tripped and like yeah i look up there's like a sea of phone snaps <laughs> so in august of 1987 my father had a business trip in california that he turned into a family vacation mm-hmm and on that short vacation, we went to Disneyland, and I got to go on Star Tours, like, pretty uh, much uh, right after it opened. Yes. Oh, my God. All right, so this is a positive memory, but I just have to start off by saying that I have never in my life been on a line that was that long. Oh, man. It, was, it winded so far back into the bowels of Disneyland that... When you were in the thick of it, you didn't even feel like you were at the park. <laughs> it was so far away from everything. It was like actually like it was intimidating. It oh. looked like an army. <laughs> but oh my god, it was so worth it because I think even more than the ride, I just loved all the shit leading up to it, like seeing a quote unquote real life C three PO in the quote unquote flesh. Oh uh, yeah, him and and, and R two in the uh, lab that they were in. That's amazing. There were those dark years. Yeah, nineteen eighty seven was definitely a dark year. Yeah. So like to be like practically freaking in the Star Wars universe and be surrounded by fans and be surrounded by these crazy moving props mm -hmm. leading up to a really great ride. Yeah. There was nothing like it. You felt so privileged to be there. And it was so well done that it was undeniably good at the time, you know? Right. I mean, I went back, I went on the Florida version many years later in 2006. Mm -hmm. And by then, the excitement factor of the ride had been outclassed. I mean, I still love to go on it. But back in 87, that was like real deal, crazy fun shit. Oh, yeah. Like, you, for those who have never been on Star Tours, it was basically like a, a flight simulator you'd all sit in this room that would move around so it, you'd feel like you were in a starship. There was an inner space ride where it was based off that movie where, you know, it's like a screen and, and, and basically they're showing a movie sort of. But since you're moving around, you feel like you're immersed in what they're showing on the screen. Right. Which was awesome. That was a huge, huge moment in my life. And I remember I went home with a souvenir poster. For the rest of that trip, I kept that poster in the tube and I was like... Well, I don't think it was an it tube. I think it was just like bagged. Mm -hmm. And I was so afraid of it getting dented that I would just like sit next to it and protect it <laughs> the entire time. I was such a baby when we had to get on the plane that I, we actually took the poster in with us. Oh, man. Do you still have it? No, but oh. it's gone now. But like, you know, the whole flight home, I'm just sitting with it, making sure it doesn't get that bend in it. Yeah. Which would have destroyed my life. And I, I cannot understate this. Like it, my life would have been over if that poster got damaged. <laughs> Actually, when we got home, the first thing I did is made my mother take us to, like, the local pharmacy so I can get that blue tacky stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't even put tackles in it. <laughs> For years, it just stood there like a shrine. Oh, Paul Rubens does the voice in that, too, by the way. Yes, I know. I know. That was yeah. They just added a little more oomph to the ride. Yeah. And what was so awesome 
is the point where they show like the safety, uh, sort of like the safety lecture on an the airplane. Best, that's by when far you, the best part. Yeah, yeah, when you have to like plug your seatbelt in, yeah. and they're they're shooting the audience sitting in the same seats you're in, but it's all fucking Star Wars characters. You had freaking Teeks in there with Chewbacca. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was so cool, and like everybody's having a good time. And that was one ride that always kept that nostalgic factor. Like, no matter when you went on it, it's like, man, that really, that made you feel so Star Wars-y, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, it was like, <laughs> as far as nostalgia goes, it was, for me, much bigger than even, like, Space Mountain. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and the fact that they revamped it, and they revamped it in such a cool way that it allows you to go on a fucking hundred times and get a different story every damn time. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm trying. I, I didn't mean to like uh, go on a downbeat. No, I'm trying to yeah. remember if I actually had been on the the new version. the new version. Yeah, the new version. If you haven't been on, is so cool because there's like so many different storylines that are possible. So every time you go on, virtually for you know x amount of times, you can get a different storyline, and each time they pick a uh, like a pilot or something like that, and you get chosen. In the audience sometimes. And that's what's so, not in the audience, in, you know, in the spaceship. It's so cool. What a great ride. And I don't think it's ever been more fun. You know, I love the old ride. But in terms of fun, this, this new one is great. Now, in a kingdom very, very near. Ah, do hurry. The passengers are boarding. Prepare yourselves. Welcome aboard. For the ultimate Disneyland thrill attraction from the imagination of Disney and George Lucas. Because now, the adventure is real. Star Tours at Disneyland. I don't know how you're going to take this next memory that I'm going to share, but it's about the Muppet Babies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Muppet Babies. Yeah, so originally there was a primetime TV special of the Muppet Babies that I remember watching. And the quick synopsis was that it's an episode where Nanny gets a hold of a video camera and the Muppet Babies borrow it and Gonzo decides to direct and record their own remake of Star Wars. I don't oh, know boy. if you remember this. Do you remember this? No, but is this where they get that clip in the opening credits? Well, actually, in a lot of the episodes of Muppet Babies, they do use Star Wars clips. Like, And sometimes in the middle of a random episode, they'll open up a door and then they'll be like, you'll see space and there'll be like a Star Destroyer coming at you and then they'll close it. I guess yeah. I didn't watch it that often because I remember every time I watched it, being, ho- I would always be hoping that it would be the Star Wars episode from the credits and it that's, never was. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say because they, even though they showed it in prime time and I did watch it, it wound up that every Saturday morning I was hoping that they would show this episode because Muppet Babies aired for so many years, you know, and Saturday morning cartoons was a huge thing. And just to say Saturday morning cartoons is pretty dated, antiquated, because the concept doesn't really exist anymore. But back then, you know, it's an event. Yeah, it's exactly what I was going to say is that cartoons back then on a Saturday morning was like TGIF or must-see TV, those blocks of uh, programming that the station threw all their power into to kind of grab the kids' attention. So this was a situation where maybe four or five of your favorite cartoons would play, and then we'd buy everything and every commercial that aired. You know, of we course. Fig- we figured out what we wanted for Christmas from the commercials, who we yep. wanted to be for Halloween. It was everything. Saturday morning cartoons were everything. So anyway, <clears throat> my sister and I 
we had our favorite blankets, we had our favorite throw pillows, and we'd set ourselves up Saturday mornings waiting. So Muppet Babies would come on, we'd have our cereal, and I'd be like, oh man, I hope it's a Star Wars episode. So it's the same thing that you said, you know, I was just sitting there secretly hoping that every week they showed the same damn episode, yeah. which, which they obviously didn't do. And we'd sit there till noon. <laughs> so my parents would be walking by like, when the hell are you going to get up and do something, you know? Yep. So anyway, the uh, Muppet Babies themselves obviously was um, based off of a, a moment in the Muppets Take Manhattan. And it, it, it spawned this whole giant popular cartoon series, you know? And there were so many Star Wars references uh, because back then it was like Henson's people and, and George Lucas, and they were all sort of like together, you know, Spielberg, they kind of had this sort of, um, synergy that was working together and there was a lot of overlap. And it's probably one of the reasons why you can't get Muppet babies on DVD or anything, because they use clips and, and references and songs from all kinds of different pop culture things. And star Wars was heavily used in a lot of the episodes of Muppet babies. I feel like that gave the show immediate street cred. Yep, exactly. I know, like, when I saw that Star Wars clip in the credits, I'd be like, oh, man, this ain't no baby show. This is for me. Exactly. This but, like, for them to show a Star Wars uh, Muppet Babies-themed episode in prime time, that was pretty awesome, you know? So I actually I didn't know about that. Yeah, and, and, and the episode was called Gonzo's Video. So they recreate A New Hope, one of my favorite episodes of all time. Like I said, wishing it was on every time. But the TV guide, at the, we used to have a TV guide subscription. And it didn't describe every cartoon episode or the synopsis of every single one. You know, so you, right. you really had no idea which episode was coming on. Now you could turn on your guide on cable and, and it'll say what episode it's going to be on. You know, back then you it was a crapshoot. There was there was 100 episodes you didn't know which one was coming on. Right. It was just, even like the TV guy would usually just say Muppet Babies. Exactly. So fortunately, the Star Wars episode wound up getting a lot of play. It was on quite often. And it was hands down my favorite episode they ever did. If, if anyone gets a chance, if they've never seen it, that is something that needs to be seen. And now that like Disney owns Muppets and Star Wars, I'm hoping that this will get a proper release. I wouldn't be surprised if that's their uh, top priority. Oh, yeah. Should be number one on the docket. Do you think George Lucas will let me direct his next movie, Star Weirdos? No way. Okay, so my next memory is more of a confession. All right, what's your confession? All right, so you remember the made-for-television Ewok movies, right? Absolutely. Battle for Endor. Oh, yeah. Yep. Car Caravan of Courage. Yeah. A lot of people dislike them, but I adore both of them. And I completely count them as legit Star Wars movies. And they are technically non-canon, but I know what you mean. Oh, no, they're canon. Wicked spoke perfect English, and it's, it's all good. <laughs> Even though it, they took the movies took place before Return of the Jedi, so I guess he learned it and then forgot it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I had both of those. They aired in like 85, 86, and then they were gone. But I had them on video. Mm -hmm. Years later, I'm like 11, 12, and I'm watching the second movie down in our TV room. Mm -hmm. So it's the end of the movie. And you remember the big happy moment where Wilfred Brimley fixes the ship and he and Sindel can finally leave Endor? Yes. It's the ultimate happy ending, except for the fact that it totally isn't because Sindel has to leave Wicket behind. Mm-hmm. 
it's the saddest shit in the world, and this is my confession. I had seen that movie dozens of times by this point. I don't know what happened on that day. I don't know if I was going through puberty or some other bullshit. <laughs> but I'm watching this scene with Sindel and Wicket saying goodbye, and I'm fucking bawling. <laughs> I'm bawling. I'm, I'm sobbing like I'm like just losing my mind, lunging myself into the couch pillows. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> for, for like 10 minutes, I'm sitting there crying. The movie's like well past its closing credits. It's like tapes fucking rewinding on its own, and I'm still sobbing. But here's the thing I really don't understand. I'm sitting there and I finally finish crying. What do I do? I put the tape back on and I fast forward to the part again. And I just go through the whole thing over again. <laughs> sobbing. Sobbing over fucking Sindel and Wicket. I like, I mean, I, I feel bad enough even just telling you this. But if it came to light there was video evidence, I'd pretty much cash out right now and just stop being an active member of society. Yeah, no, be a mountain man. I, no, I have no, I can't say anything because things touch you in certain ways, you know? Sindel and Wicket saying goodbye in the second of the two made-for-television Ewok movies is my trigger. I'm sobbing like an Italian grandmother at a funeral, just like for an hour. <laughs> oh, man. And and you didn't even cry when when uh, Anakin Skywalker finally died in in Jedi. Stone faced. <laughs> Monday. Here they come. From the creator of the Star Wars saga. I want the power. Lucasfilm presents the greatest adventure. There's no escape for you, my little one. Ewoks: The Battle for Endor. Parental discretion is suggested. Matt, did you ever go to Sesame Place? Yeah, there was a lot of wood planks at that place. <laughs> Sesame Place was a Sesame Street themed amusement park. It well, it is. It still exists. It's in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. It's like Six Flags, but geared toward very young kids. Around 1985, we went there for the first time. My sister and I, my parents took us, and there was a stage show that was supposedly delving into special effects and movies. And the main attraction of the show was supposedly focusing on Return of the Jedi. So, of course, I had to go in. Really? Yeah. So that sucked me right in. And I went in with my sister. I think I was about maybe five or six at the time. And the show was hosted by a girl maybe in her early 20s. There was a large movie screen behind her. And they were showing clips of Star Wars. So her speech basically was about uh, the blue screen technology. It was like blue screen for dummies, you know? Right. It's how they made... A lot of the effects in the uh, Star Wars movie. So a lot of what you see uh, in in those films use the technology and they were demonstrating it. So my sister and I were enjoying the demonstration because we were learning, you know, and we thought that was pretty cool how they pulled the effects off. But to keep it all from being too educational, like a film class, the host, who was very like bubbly, she asked a crowd of about maybe 40 kids who wanted to volunteer to help her on stage. So... Hmm. Of course, my sister's hand immediately went straight up, and I put my head down and pretended not to exist. Right. <laughs> so I wasn't. That was the right move, Chief. Yeah, I wasn't a big ham at that point in my life. But yeah, you know, it's funny because now you would like not only be the first person with your hand up, you would just go up without being called up. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. I, I wonder if that mic's for karaoke. Oh, it isn't. I don't care. I don't care if there's no music playing. I'm gonna go sing some fucking Bon Jovi to this Chinese restaurant do it anyway yeah 
<laughs> so uh, naturally, the host, of course, picked my sister and asked her to come up on stage. And then she said, uh, you know, hi, what's your name? Do you have any siblings? Are you with your, you know, do you have any siblings with you? Of course, she said, yeah, my brother's with me. So the host asked me to come up on stage. And then I slogged up there. And it all happened for the best because we were then asked if we wanted to star in Return of the Jedi, my favorite of the Star Wars films. So we were yeah. like, yeah, duh, of course. <laughs> so yeah. there, were the, there was these two short little blue platforms, right? And they're carpeted with this blue material and there was a blue wall behind us. And she asked us to each sit on the platforms and lean forward a little bit. So then the crowd of kids that we were uncomfortably staring at at the time they were looking at the stage and they seemed to be momentarily delighted because then we looked back and saw ourselves on the giant movie screen. So yeah, yeah. at that point it was just a live feed of us sitting on these blue platforms. And then the host went into a dissertation about the speeder bike scene in return of the Jedi. So then she cut the clips of the speeder bike scene on Endor. And then she asked us if we wanted to ride our own speeder bikes and again, of course, it's like, stop asking us super questions. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so you already know, you already know those answers. So, so using the blue screen technology, uh, she basically superimposed us with her video engineer into the speeder bike scene as if we were riding the speeder bikes through the forest of Endor. Oh man. Yeah. And even though we didn't have eyes in the back of, of our heads to see this, it was an amazing moment because I had that extra appreciation since that was a, like one of the coolest scenes for me when I was a kid because I yep. had the toy that exploded, like the little speeder bike that exploded, yep. you know, and that was one of my favorite things. So so that moment is something I'll always remember. It's funny that you call this uh, like a pleasant memory because for me, the idea of going in front of a audience full of people <laughs> and sitting on a platform, I, I'm guessing like Indian style. <laughs> well, it was more like you were riding like a horse. Okay. So yeah. you're riding a horse on a like blue pole in front of an audience of people. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> Maybe if we pull you up there, then you can share with the crowd your your deepest, darkest secrets about the movies you haven't seen. And <laughs> I, I would have just like left the ride, you know, run out the back door. <laughs> what you have and haven't cried at. <laughs> <laughs> Short people got a good reason to smile. Sesame Neighborhood, take route one to Oxford Valley Exit, Sesame Place, Langhorne, Pennsylvania. So my next memory is seeing Attack of the Clones in 2002. Mm. I went to a pre-release screening with my old job in this theater in Manhattan, and the crowd was absolutely all Star Wars lunatics. Mm -hmm. Like, just complete fanatics. Way bigger fans than either of us are. Like, this was the kind of crowd that cheered everything in the movie, no matter how dopey it was. Yeah. Do you remember that little scene where Obi-Wan casually turns down Doku's offer to join him? And together, we will destroy the Sith. I will never join you, Dooku. Riotous fucking applause. <laughs> like, standing ovation. <laughs> so... You know, in some ways, it kind of worked against it because it got to the point where you're like, all right, I don't need a like huge cheer for every single thing that happens. Mm -hmm. But when they got up to the Yoda fight scene, mm -hmm. oh, my God, it was like the theater from fucking Gremlins. <laughs> People were like practically fainting. 
you have to remember up until that point in the prequels, we had never seen Yoda do anything more than just kind of sit around and say things. Yeah, it was a huge pop moment. Yeah, yeah. and then suddenly he's Sonic the Hedgehog with a fucking lightsaber. <laughs> so this crowd is just losing their shit. Like people have, like you know, I was I mentioned crying about Sindel. People yeah. were crying in the theater. Yeah, like just tears of joy. These are the guys. These are the guys and girls that were standing online for the movie in fucking cosplay outfits with their lightsabers and shit. As soon as Yoda broke out his, all the lightsabers went off. Yep, it was yep, just insane. Yep, yep. So no matter how much anyone shits on the prequels, I'll always treasure that memory. Yeah, that's. it was pretty awesome to see that, but it was also jarring at the same time. And I don't mean jar-jarring. Jar, it was jar-jarring. I, I mean jarring because you did not really expect to see it in the way that it played out. Well, it was just an ultimate fan service scene, but like that was a big bone thrown to us in that movie. But it, it kind of looked a little bit like, like you said, like Sonic. It almost looked like too video gamey in a way. Well, I mean, it's not like they could, you know, they don't have Yoda. They can't get a stunt double for Yoda. <laughs> Her villages. <laughs> yeah, to like, you know, do triple somersaults in midair and things like that. Yeah, yeah. It is obvious that this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of the Force, but by our skills with a lightsaber. One thing I always wanted to do at some point in my life was watch all six Star Wars films in a row in one day. Oh, God. Yep. Yeah, this this was a goal that I always like had in my mind. It, was, it literally, like, when you're talking about life goals, I, I really don't have a lot of life goals. This was one of my major life goals, which seems probably ludicrous to a lot of people. But for me, I always wanted to experience all the films in succession because that was important to me to finally be able to do that. But right. in reality, when you're an adult and you have a full-time job, you have responsibilities and bills and blah, blah, blah. It's not easy to watch six two and a half hour films yeah. in a row. You know, it's so, you're like so, we're talking 13, 14 hours. Exactly. So this was not really in my reach. And of course, most Star Wars fans have multiple copies of the movies on DVD and Blu-ray, whatnot. So owning the films and the ability to do that is not the uh, challenge there. Right, right. Uh, so pulling something off that insane required my undivided attention and a full free day of doing absolutely nothing. So I was mainly interested just to see how it all played out. June 2009, my girlfriend uh, goes on a trip with her sister to California, and it was the perfect weekend for the sexy armpit to sit and ferment in the air conditioning and be fully immersed in the Star Wars universe. Uh, some friends and I talked about it online and, you know, talk about marathoning the movies and whatnot. A lot right. of them, they couldn't go through with it in the way I wanted to go through with it. They'd be like, yeah, Monday we're going to do this movie. And yeah, Tuesday. that doesn't count. Got to be all in a shot. Exactly. You got to be all in. So I didn't break unless I had to go pee or, you know, get, get a snack or something or, or you know, a hot pocket. So <laughs> I started very early in the morning, extremely early in the morning and ended late at night. And I needed to do this. I needed to sort of prove it to myself. It was like achievement unlocked, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and when it was all over, I felt like I just received an award from Princess Leia. Yet I was left realizing 
there were so many ups and downs of being a Star Wars fan, you know, and it was like the up of us yearning to know the origins and the backstories of stuff like the Clone Wars and and the backstory of Palpatine and then seeing it all play out in in sort of an underwhelming way sometimes. Right. Uh, But a lot of my dislike of the prequels derives from me not being a fan of prequels in general. And that's kind of what I took out of the whole experience. Not just that I didn't really enjoy the prequels was more that I don't like prequels. I wanted the story to go further after Jedi. You know, it's, I enjoy- it's a tough haul for a prequel to match up to whatever you were imagining. Exactly. And and I enjoy the mystery. I, I like to keep some things a mystery and undisclosed, you know. Uh, I was more interested to see how it unfolded after Jedi. But, uh, you know, it was a cool moment for me. Um, well, well so can we, let me ask you something. I want you yeah. to set, set the stage a little bit. So, you know you're going to be watching movies for like 15 fucking hours. Yeah, yeah. How do you prepare? What goes I, into that? Like, what do you buy? Do you have like bottles of water and Malamars? <laughs> like, what? what's the situation? Well, I the only thing, when I was trying to recall, and this wasn't that long ago, you know, 2009, um, what I do remember is that my mother made a giant tray of eggplant parmesan for me. And it wasn't like because she knew I was doing this. It was just because in general, she's like, oh, I made an extra tray for you. I'm like, oh, that works perfectly into my master plan of sitting for, you know, 15 hours. Yeah, watching. <laughs> that was like the final push that you needed to really do this shit. Yeah, so I ate eggplant parmesan for 15 hours and watched Star Wars. It was oh awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the thing is, they're doing this for the force awakens now but it's different because i you know i could see pulling and i never have but i could see pulling it off at home how do you do that in a theater that's what i was going to say is that they're they're selling tickets for the uh, the star wars marathons where to celebrate force awakens they're showing every film in the theater you could buy a ticket for it but for me there's no way I can do this in a theater with other human beings in my vicinity. So I have now in the theater. Are they like really like showing all of them in a row or their breaks or what? They're supposedly showing them all in a row. And like, I can't do it because I don't want to be in a theater with people. You know, I just, yeah, want to- just imagine how ordinary they're going to get. I know. And you have to bring pillows and blankets. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I hope to do eventually at some point in my life, I really would like to do, that's my next goal is to watch episodes four through nine and just skip the prequels. No, no, you got to do them all. All <laughs> nine movies. No, the prequels don't exist. They, they are erased from existence. No, they're in there. Yeah. God, can you imagine watching all nine? You're going to have to do it someday. Eventually, yeah. It's coming soon to your video store. Watch this. The Empire Strikes Back. The ultimate battle between good and evil. All right, here's my last Star Wars memory for the podcast guess this was 1983 I would have been four years old and I know it's hard to believe that somebody can recall these trivial moments from when they were only four but I swear this is true I can remember it with picture-perfect clarity okay. this memory is of that Christmas when I got the ad at oh which I refer to as the ATAT. <laughs> well you know to tell you the truth before this podcast I looked up ad at and apparently Lucasfilm has confirmed that it's ad at Really? Yeah, because I thought it was, I thought I've been saying the wrong thing, but they have confirmed that it's at at. Really? Mm-hmm. 
I'll still call it ATAT. Yeah, that's fine. ATAT is more fun to say. It is. You feel like you're on like a merry-go-round or something. (laughs) So on the off chance that someone listening doesn't know, the AT-ATs were those gigantic four-legged robots that stalked the rebels in The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. The thing is, as a toy, this thing was like practically getting a dog. That it just, was like, yeah, it was like a robotic dog. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, just gigantic thing. And when you're like a little kid, this thing seems even more gigantic. I think at the time, it was definitely the biggest Star Wars toy. Yeah. And the box was fucking enormous. It was like, hey, is this a refrigerator? No, it's an ad ad. <laughs> Our family used to open the presents, or they still do actually, open the presents at midnight on Christmas Eve. So I get this fucking ad ad, and I'm like, there's no way I'm just going to go to bed then. I'm no, up to, you, I'm, you're yeah. going to be up for four hours. Exactly, and that's what happened. It was like yeah. 3.30 in the morning. Finally, my mother just like said, you know what, fuck it. And I ended up just falling asleep on the floor in the living room next to the ad ad. It yeah, like you first... were you were grasping it, like you were hugging it the whole time, right? Yeah, because you know I think that was the first big Christmas present I ever got, and it's probably the first Christmas present that made me realize, hey, this is a pretty good day, man. <laughs> yeah, this isn't just about people being over the house. Like I'm gonna get some major shit. Yeah. So like, it holds a special place in my heart that ad at. That is a huge gift, and not only just the ad at, but Star Wars playsets in general were usually pretty awesome well the major ones were like i loved the ewok village oh like i used to throw parties on that shit like yeah let's (laughs) come on gi joe you're you're invited yeah man you too everyone on the fucking platform (laughs) oh man yeah the the ewok village and the uh, death star and best pin and all kinds of big playsets but yeah the ad ad definitely was just the, the sheer scale of it was the only thing comparable to it might have been like the G.I. Joe uh, aircraft carrier. No, I mean, the aircraft carrier was way bigger than that. But right, but what I'm saying is it's like to, to, to compare the size. Yeah, it was probably the biggest Star Wars collectible at the time. Yeah, I mean, like, and I still have it. So when I look at it now, it doesn't really seem all that big. Yeah. But when you're a little kid, it's bigger than you are. Exactly, yeah. So it's like you can you know, hardly even carry it and you own it. Oh, best feeling. A few years back, my nephew, you know, he was mildly into Star Wars, like Clone Wars and stuff. And he wanted the the newer AT-AT that they came out with. And uh, I got it for him. And, you know, he might have played with it like once or twice, you know, and that was about it. He, yeah. he lost it. Like, we were so much more enraptured in the whole, like, there's so much, like, mystery and intrigue involved and stuff like that for us. Well, Star Wars was much hotter and toys weren't what they were later yeah because like, kids just want to play video games on their ipads now well i mean i just mean like over the years we'd see toys that were undoubtedly more impressive than the ad at but for me as a kid like that was like holy shit i can't believe this is a real thing it's new at the all-terrain armored transport from kenner batteries not included action figures each sold separately you can make at war its legs are big enough to crush obstacles you can move at head and pretend to scan for rebels at has a cockpit for imperial commander and at driver and laser machine guns when you push a button to fire the laser cannons you activate battle lights and sounds there's even a troop compartment new at from kenner's star wars the empire strikes back collection so that was a shitload of great Star Wars memories. Oh, God, how long were we talking? How I think long? We did hit the two-hour mark, I think. But We hit the two-hour mark four hours ago. It, it was two hours and 45 minutes, as long yeah. as a Star Wars film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, I don't know, man. 
I can't wait for Force Awakens, though, because this is going to be a new chapter in our Star Wars fandom, and I can't wait for that. Yeah, and it's not just about seeing a movie. You know it's going to like sort of reach its tentacles into so many other areas, so we're going to have so many new reasons to lisp on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, so many new memories. Yeah. I know. I, I already have the toys. I just bought a, a an art print from Target. I mean, it's getting out of control, and I haven't even seen the movie yet. Right. And there's like it's not just the one movie you're getting. It's like another freaking ten years of Star Wars. I know it's not just the trilogy. It's the you know, the offshoot movies and Boba Fett and everything. It's going to be great. I cannot wait. So this has been the Purple Stuff Podcast, our special Star Wars edition. Yes, uh, I think next week we're starting our special holiday edition. So oh my pretty god! Pretty much, pretty much every episode we do is special. That's what your mom used to tell you. Yep. <laughs> So this has been the Purple Stuff Podcast. I'm Jay from the Sexy Armpit. And I'm Matt from Dinosaur Dracula. You can go about your business. (laughs) (laughs) And you are listening to the Purple Stuff Podcast.